Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to The Call. Two star 10 stocks picked by you two experts. One hour. It is Thursday, the 7th of July. I'm Andrew Gagan. Good to have you with us. Our two experts on today's show, Chris Conway from Marcus Today and David Lane from Ord Manette. Welcome, guys, to the show. Uh, just taking a look at the market at the moment. Of course, uh, commodities remaining under pressure, although some of the big miners are um, up today and uh, the banks are relatively flat uh, David, what are you looking for at the moment in that's uh, likely to drive your next investment decision? Yeah, it's uh, it, it's a little bit of a dead spot, I, I guess, at the moment in that we've been through a, a fairly torrid period in the last six months, a fair bit of tax loss selling that we've seen and uh, now heading towards the August reporting season. Obviously, central banks are the... The, the key driver of, of markets at the moment. We saw the, the Reserve Bank raise rates uh, again this week and uh, investors predominantly are sitting on the sidelines uh, waiting for some new news or some, some positive momentum to happen. Um, I guess the encouraging thing that, that we're seeing and we'll talk about a number of it today is uh, we are actually seeing quite a lot of value. Uh, so. You know, we've seen share prices sold off significantly. There is value there. It's just a matter of whether or not there's enough confidence to, to start buying. Yep. All right. But at the moment, you're sort of more of a spectator, I guess. That's what you're saying. Um, Chris, how are you approaching it then? Are you sitting on your hands? Yeah, very similar to what David said. So in our portfolios, both our growth and our income portfolios here at Marks Day, we're at the maximum cash we can be, which is 20%. Uh, and that's, of course, you know, coming out of the period again that David was talking to where markets were pretty volatile and uh, a lot of stocks got sold down quite aggressively. Um, in the short term, what we're looking for is um, the CPI print next week in the US. If we start to see some signs that uh, the higher interest rates and the, the talking down of, uh, of higher prices is starting to have some effect, then that might provide some stability for the market. Um, Certainly last time out at the headline level, that wasn't the case. But at the core level, there were signs already that uh, inf inflation is starting to roll over. So, again, it will only be one print and it will be part of a much broader and much longer narrative. But if that print was to come in uh, less than expected or even on the button, then, uh, like I said, that might provide some stability for markets. So, um, yeah, that's very early what we'll be looking for. But otherwise, obviously, confession season and earnings season uh, that uh, David just spoke to is, um, you know, what we'll be paying most attention to as well. Yeah. All right. Well, let's uh, preview what we're going to talk about in the first half of the show. Ansel, Sandfire, Reliance Worldwide, Megaport and EML Payments. Our stock of the day, out of some news, Bendigo and Adelaide Bank uh, taking over ANZ's $715 million investment lending portfolio, bringing its own margin lending balance there to more than $2 billion. That deal expected to be finalised in the first half of 23. And uh, just taking a look at the relative share prices there, um, actually, um, they were 
initially negative, now moving back into positive only just. So Chris, how are you looking at uh, Bendigo and Adelaide at this point? Yeah, just on that deal, Andrew, I work with a, a few younger fellows who are a, a sub 30 in terms of their age. And uh, I was speaking to them about margin lending and they were sort of like, what? What's margin lending now? That's a bit tongue in cheek. Of course, they knew what it was. But, you know, obviously, margin lending was massive prior to the GFC, um, it totaled nearly $42 billion uh, before the onset of the GFC. And as it stands today, it's about $17 billion overall in terms of margin lending facilities. And as you just said, Bendigo is now upping their stake to about $2 billion of that. But it's certainly not the market that it used to be. And I guess that's part of the point here is that the regionals need to get a little bit creative because they don't have the same uh, access to funding. Um, when things go the wrong way, their net interest margins get impacted more. So they've got to be a little bit more creative with the type of businesses that they operate. This could end up being a very good business um, and a very little, a good little earner for Bendigo and Adelaide. Um, I don't particularly like the regionals, though, more broadly, like I said, for those reasons that I was just talking about. You know, their, their funding costs are higher. Uh, and they tend to get whacked uh, the other way when things start to get compressed. So uh, I'd much rather be playing in the big four uh, when it comes to the banks. Okay, so just a no then as far as Bendigo and Adelaide's concerned. David, um, do you concur? Yes, tend, tend to have a ver very similar view. Um, we've got a whole recommendation on, on Bendigo. Uh, our analysts have actually just been through a a review of the the banking sector and slightly downgraded our earnings forecasts for this year for for Bendigo, uh, slightly increased for for the next year, uh, and we've decreased our target price target price of nine dollars seventy on on Bendigo. Uh, this was prior to today's announcement, I have to say, um, but it's probably unlikely that today's announcement will will make a significant difference. It does mean that the bank. Uh, really becomes the leader in in margin lending in the country, uh, which, as Chris said, used to be a, a major uh, part of investment markets. Less so now, um, but certainly with uh, with the markets having come off quite a bit, uh, there may well be a, a little bit more interest in uh, in people borrowing some money to to invest. Uh, traditionally, margin lending does have a higher uh, lending rate, uh, interest rate that's charged. So there is the potential that they can get a little bit better net interest margin from that book, but obviously it's fairly volatile and uh, and has a, a, a very close alignment to markets. All right, okay. That's the view of Bendigo and Adelaide. Let's uh, get into the stocks as picked by you. Uh, now, the first one, I guess a prime example of a COVID winner, Ansel, uh, Max saying has well, have the good days come and gone? I own a small parcel. Um, should I sell it? It is the medical and industrial glove maker. Uh, valuations come off close to half this financial year. And um, the market overall obviously disappointed with the company's post-COVID performance. And just taking a look, I mean, it, it peaked, David, uh, this time last year. And it's been a very ugly chart since then. Yeah, it has. The, the company uh, has suffered, um, as you said, it, it came off the, the COVID um, peak. Uh, it, it in its last result, they did have a, a fairly significant write down. Uh, they really got caught short in terms of their, their uh, glove manufacturing. They had a, a high inventory and demand had actually dropped uh, off quite a bit. So there was a $20 million um, loss there on that business. 
overall, we do see that the, the medium and longer term outlook is good for the business because it, it is improving in terms of their other sectors, uh, their their uh, surgical and life science business is, is improving in terms of overall demand. So we're looking at getting it back to a, a pre-pandemic sort of level. Share price, as you can see there, is, is off fairly significantly. We've got a target price of $33 on the stock. Uh, have an accumulate recommendation on it. It's reasonable value at the moment, not at, not extraordinary, uh, trading on a, a dividend yield of about 3.3%, uh, PE ratio of about 12.2 times. So it's it's coming back to being reasonable value. Uh, our accumulate recommendation effectively means that we, we're happy to be buying it at at lower prices. So keep an eye on, on the, the movements of the markets. And then if we see a bit more of a, a weakness, then you know, look at adding to the position then. Okay, Chris. Yes, yeah, very nice comments there from David. What I would say about this one is that um, it's almost in direct contrast to a stock that we'll have a look, a look at a little bit later in terms of Ancor, and that is a company that has been able to pass on its higher raw materials costs, whereas Ancel, for a host of reasons which I'll get into in just a moment, have not been able to. Uh, so just so that the viewers know, around 55% of Ansel's cost of goods comes from raw materials. So obviously they really have suffered badly as commodity prices have gone through the roof. They haven't been able to pass those costs on for a couple of reasons. One being that there was oversupply across the industry. You know, when the stock was trading at $43, a lot of other people had the idea to go out there and produce a whole lot of, um, a whole lot of uh, gloves. And then the industry was flooded or there was a lot of oversupply. And, um, you know, that's seen the, the other side, uh, too much supply, selling at a discount, and then the share price has come off uh, to around 23 bucks now, so about half like you guys were just talking about because the margins have been shredded on the way back down. So there's that moving part. The other thing that has been a, a fairly significant moving part is that they shut down their Russian factory. Uh, or they actually shut it down this month. They did have supply, some supply in there that they were trying to get rid of. That's all been exhausted, I believe, and it's now not producing anymore. And they had about high 80% of the higher-end, uh, <coughs> pardon me, medical glove market in Russia. So lots of things have gone wrong. They haven't been able to pass on those higher prices because of where the industry sat. Uh, the question becomes, um, is it offering value? Potentially it is, but I, I, I need to see more evidence of uh, things starting to turn around, both from a share price perspective, and I'd obviously really want to see their results this upcoming reporting season to see how they're managing those problems that I've just been talking about. So uh, if I was holding it right now, I guess the answer would be, well, I've seen it fall from 43 to 23, I'll keep holding it now. But if I wasn't holding it, I certainly wouldn't be a buyer of it just yet. I'd, I'd wait for those pieces of evidence that I was just talking about. Okay, all right. Let's get into commodities, sandfire, copper, goodness, um, that has, uh, we've seen where the copper price has gone most recently. Uh, Kirsty wanted to know about this. Um, last year had, had uh, a significant copper deal in that it, um, it was a, what, $2.6 billion deal, in fact, for the Matza copper and zinc mine in Spain, bought from Trafigura. And uh, at the time, in fact, uh, Chief Executive Carl Simic uh, was trumpeting the fact that it was a bargain uh, for the uh, broader exploration potential of that asset. So, Chris, given where copper prices have gone most recently, and of course, we've seen that reflected in the share price too, what's your outlook for Sandfire? 
Yeah, I think it was copper hitting a 19-month low overnight mm. or certainly sometime this week. So, yeah, it's been absolutely hammered. And um, it probably was a bargain at the time they bought the mine, but uh, it might not look quite such a bargain now. Um, I think Matsu is a pretty good asset. I think it's a pretty good asset. I think, uh, aside from what the CEO said, they probably played, paid a fair to foolish value, and that was at the time, not necessarily what's happened since. Uh, and then it's all about the outlook for copper and... We know that copper, Dr. Copper, is a bellwether for economic activity. And if um, the recession that everyone thinks is going to happen does end up happening, then you would suspect that copper prices will continue to slide lower. So I can't get too excited about this one. I would say that they're, they're operationally efficient. You know, they run the, the business pretty well. Uh, the copper production for the last quarter was about 9%, 9 or 10% ahead of uh, expectations and their costs were in line. So they seem to be doing what they're doing very well, and that matter asset is a, is a solid asset. But if the expectation is that the copper price is going to go lower, well, undoubtedly the share price will follow lower as well. So that's the reason uh, why I wouldn't probably be buying at this point in, in the cycle. Okay, but if you do have it? I think if you do have it, there's, again, there's probably better uh, commodities out there that you could be exposed to. I don't think copper is necessarily going to be towards the top of the list of uh, commodities winners over the next 12 months. So, no, you'd probably sell it. And if you're a, uh, a commodities person, you'd rotate into something else. Yeah, OK. All right, David? Yeah, I tend to agree with uh, with Chris's comments there as well. We've got a sell recommendation on the stock. Um, recently, in advance of reporting season, uh, our analysts have been through and, and made some adjustments to forecasts based on, on those commodity prices. So... We've downgraded our, our earnings expectations by 8% this financial year and then another 50% for next financial year. So I think that it's uh, it's overvalued where it is. Uh, we've got a target price of $3.80 on it and uh, really would look, look to you know get, get a better entry price. Um, and there's also some risks around their, that acquisition and their, uh, their project implementation. So, uh, yeah, probably would would be selling that at, at current prices. Okay, that's a double sell then for Sandfire. On to our third one, which is uh, Reliance Worldwide. Um, William wanting to know about this one. It does manufacture and supply water flow control products in relation to plumbing and the like, um, with a footprint in uh, well, certainly Australia, New Zealand, but also significantly in the States and in Europe, also along with the UK. Um, so, David, Reliance, and I guess this is also a, uh, a story about uh, renovations, perhaps construction, yep. where that industry is going at this point. Yeah, that's right. And, and we've seen the share price come off fairly significantly, uh, you know, as, as we've seen all of the construction stocks come off uh, and tend to think that it's probably been overdone because in Reliance's case, they are more tied towards that renovation market, as you said, um, less exposed to the the, infl uh, the impact of interest rates. So we think that uh, Reliance is is very good business. Um, margins have come down slightly, but we are looking for them to improve. Uh, interestingly, their, their margins in Europe and, and the UK are significantly higher. Um, Australia. We've got margins of about 20%. In the UK, they're getting margins of, of above 30% at the moment. The US, much more competitive market. Uh, their, their margins are around uh, 8 
eight to ten percent there, but uh, sales growth has been very, very strong in the US. So we do like Reliance. We've got a, a buy recommendation on it. Uh, we've got a target price of six dollars twenty, which implies upside of about fifty uh, percent, which we've seen downside of around that over the last six months or so. Um, but we think that yeah, Reliance is, is well positioned, they're well managed, and they do have a, a good global footprint. So it's one of the, the stocks that we do like. Yep. Okay. Chris, do you agree? Yeah, I'm going to uh, agree with David. I think um, whilst the construction names have been absolutely belted, Reliance has probably a little bit unfairly been marked down because of the association there. But as David pointed out, they have a much greater exposure to uh, the renovation market as opposed to necessarily the new housing construction market. So they've got a leg up in that regard. I thought their March quarter was pretty solid. Again, David's talked to the growth uh, in the Americas, which was good. They have managed to pass on prices. Again, this is one of those companies that has managed to uh, pass on higher prices and uh, it seems that their customers are absorbing them and they're going to continue to pass on higher prices. Um, and whilst there will be some margin erosion, uh, it won't necessarily be as bad as you know a company that doesn't have similar sort of pricing power. Throw into the mix at the share price, and this is what I always like to see if I'm going to be buying something that has um, been through the ringer a little bit, is I like to see the share price off the bottom. So it bottomed out around 350 in June uh, and is up around uh, 440 at last check. So um, it has had that rotation off the bottom. I, I quite like its position um, and agree with a lot of things that David said. So for me, it would be a buy as well. Okay. All right. That is Reliance Worldwide. Let's move on to Megaport. Uh, Brooke wanting to know about this. Um, it, uh, well, in fact, I was just looking at um, Goldman's uh, commentary on it saying it's benefiting from first mover advantage, uh, structural tailwinds um, that obviously accelerated during COVID. Uh, plus, moreover, I guess the adoption of, uh, of cloud and, and uh, that usage of multi-cloud storage and also the growth of SaaS, networking of of uh, service networking as a service, I should say NAS, not SAS. Um, so Chris, Megaport, how do, you, how do you look at this one? First thing I do, uh, Andrew, is take a little share price and see that it was uh, yeah. 20 something back in November and now it's uh, about six bucks. So it's it's been hammered. Um, I don't necessarily disagree with those comments. I think they, you were just saying they're from, from Goldman's, but I, I think at a company level, there's some specific problems here. I think these guys need to have better cost control and they really need to stabilise their sales revenue. Um, their third quarter update, I don't think it was great. They had lower average revenue per port and they had some um, FX headwinds as well, which you know isn't necessarily their fault, but that's the reality of it. Um, and on, off the back of that, quite a number of brokers, at least the research I was having a look at, uh, decided to delay their growth assumptions and lower some forecasts. So... Uh, not particularly great. The other the other thing that's worth noting is that um, one of their new products, Megaport Virtual Edge, this is a product that um, improves network performance. Uh, it's had a slower than expected ramp up in sales. So even the new innovative products, the new things that they're trying to uh, bring to market, which uh, by all estimations are great products, um, they're just having a slower uptake and it's, it's more of a grind. So uh, I wouldn't be a buyer of this one at the moment. Again, if I was holding it, I'd hold it all the way down. I'd, I'd hang on for dear life. Um, but I'd, again, need to see a lot more evidence that this one's moving in the right direction, both fundamentally and technically, before I'd uh, throw some money at it. All right. Yeah, David, taking a look at that share price. So just in the past six months, like 65%, it's come off. Uh, so clearly, if you're looking for some positive momentum, it's certainly not there. Um, 
Chris saying, if you've held on this long, probably may as well stay there. Uh, do you see yes. some upside? I, I certainly agree that I'd be holding on to it. We've got a hold recommendation on it. Uh, as you said, the share price has been decimated. Uh, it's really been that rotation out of the uh, unprofitable tech that we've seen globally. And, and it was certainly one that uh, was riding that momentum early. Uh, as Chris said, they got up to to $22, had a low of $4.70, so it's it's been uh, decimated. Uh, it has been a, a high growth company in terms of its revenue. So over the last five years, they've had compound annual growth of 96% in terms of its, its revenue growth. But we are starting to see a bit of a, a plateauing of, of that growth. And as Chris said, some of the new products are a little bit uh, a little bit confusing to the market and haven't necessarily taken off as, as well as the, the company will have hoped. So, yeah, I think at, at this point in time, uh, I'd be holding it if you've got it, but I'd be, I wouldn't necessarily be jumping into the stock at, at current prices. Okay, double hold then for Megaport. Our fifth stock, EML Payments. Uh, Victor wanting to know about this. In fact, just uh, the last couple of days announced a, uh, a deal in Spain that saw I think the share price uh, lifted by about uh, 10 or 11% just off the back of that news. It has since uh, come back. But if you look more broadly at the chart, very similar chart, in fact, to our previous one, Megaport is down around 65% over the past year. It is a business, it provides um, payment solutions um, in a variety of ways, gift cards, electronic cards, customer payouts, salary packages. David, EML. Yeah, we, we like the stock. We've got a buy recommendation on it. Um, the share price has come off quite a bit today. It's down about 8.8%, but we think that uh, longer term, it, it is a good business. Uh, it's in a high growth sector uh, and a bit of a leader in, in that space. But um, yeah, we have seen their last result was a little bit disappointing. They did lower their, their guidance. Um, there's been some execution risk and, and need to, the market, I suppose, needs to get a little bit more confident in their management to be able to, to execute, particularly in Europe and, and some of their, their acquisitions that they've had. Uh, but for those who are willing to, to take a high risk um, and you know, look, look at a stock for the, for the medium and longer term, we do like it. We've got a buy recommendation. Um, our target price is $2.95, which is very, very high compared to their, their current price of $1.29, um, but obviously a, a high risk play. Uh, but we're quite confident that in the in the next couple of years, they, they should be able to execute on that growth. Okay, Chris. Yeah, so obviously a good announcement yesterday, but outside of that, uh, as we can see with the way the share price has performed, it's, uh, it's been tough for AML. And um, just more broadly about the space, I mean, I keep coming back to this question, how many payment systems do we need these days? And um, there's a lot, lots of companies competing in this space and it seems to be, to me at the very least, a little bit overcrowded and I wouldn't be surprised to see some consolidation uh, in the sector in the next couple of years. It reminds me a little bit of the telco space probably five or six years ago when there was too many players, not enough customers, margin compression, race to the bottom sort of stuff. And, you know, we're seeing a lot of these payment companies just have similar sort of share prices that have just been hammered. You know, they're their top left, bottom right on the chart. And I think that tells a bit of a story. Um, David's already spoken to the uh, reduction in guidance last time out, and that was because of falling revenues and higher costs. And again, that just continues the narrative that I was just talking about. So um, for me to get interested in this space in general, the broader space, payment space, um, like I said, I probably want to see some consolidation. 
Um, and until I see that, I just think it's it's a particularly difficult space to operate in. So, um, yeah, this would this would be a sell for me straight up. Um, but if uh, there's some consolidation there in the next uh, 12 to uh, 24 months, then uh, things might start to look a little bit more attractive from an industry dynamic. But do you see ML as um, a target or perhaps a mover there? No, uh, like David said, it's it's probably towards the top in terms of it being a leader in the space. So yep. it'd be these guys teaming up with um, or you know consuming other players and and consolidating. Yeah. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, let's uh, summarise where we've been for the first half of the show. Our stock of the day was Bendigo and Adelaide after it announced that it's taking over that marginal lending business from ANZ. Uh, Chris saying, look, he doesn't really like the regionals, therefore it's a pass for him. Um, David, um, noting that it has downgraded its earnings forecast, well, they have, um, and uh, they're at odds, and he's got a hold on it. To the stocks, as picked by you, uh, Ansel. And it was one of those COVID winners, and it's turned into a loser post COVID. Um, mind you, David's saying uh, the long-term outlook is looking positive and accumulate there from uh, odds. Uh, Chris noting also it's, it's suffered because of those high input costs, particularly given where commodities have gone. Uh, he's got a hold on it. Sandfire, speaking of uh, commodities, uh, this is copper, and copper has just uh, fallen off a cliff recently. Uh, both have a sell on Sandfire. Reliance Worldwide, uh, David, noting it is a good business, he's got a buy. Chris, also a buy on Reliance, talking about the solid growth there. Megaport, both have a hold on that. And just finally, the EML, uh, David pointing to. It is high risk, but he does have, uh, or do have a buy on it. And uh, Chris, though, a different opinion. Uh, he's uh, not in it and thinks perhaps it should be a sell, seeing consolidation ahead in that payments sector. All right, now the call is tracking our own high conviction fund here. That's picked by our investment committee. The latest episode of that meeting is live for you to watch at ausbiz.com. So let's uh, check in uh, with an update, which we've just had. Tyro, Qantas, Frontier Digital Ventures, Tabcorp and Steadfast were removed, while Batcorp was added to the portfolio this month uh, and currently have a cash holding of just over 10.5%. So far, the fund is down 6.2% on a cumulative return basis since its inception at the beginning of March. So keep sending in your requests. Keep the call switched on to see which stocks our committee will be looking at next. At CMC, we've been in the game for a while, and although a lot of things have changed, our mentality hasn't. We aim to give experienced traders the best trading experience, like our expert platform with its second-to-none trading tools, plus our pricing is completely transparent. That's why people who've been trading for a long time stay with us for a long time. So if you're serious about trading, switch to the market leader trusted for over 30 years. Trade CFDs your way at cmcmarkets.com. You don't own underlying assets. Consider relevant PDS and TMD or information memorandum for CMC Pro accounts at our website. Welcome back. You are watching The Call on a Thursday. Our next five stocks will be looking at Linus, Domino's, Amcor, Mervac and Superloop. So let's kick it off with Linus. Rare Earths, uh, Rima wanting to know about this. Uh, exploring also, uh, obviously, with a view to supplying the EV industry. Um, and Chris, I'm just taking a look. In fact, it's off around 6% today, uh, given we're seeing that extreme volatility, particularly in that sector at this point. But um, actually looking at the chart over the past 12 months, it's actually held up well. 
I'd certainly agree with that, Andrew. It certainly has been belted around like some of the other commodity stocks. Um, you know, some of the lithium charts look pretty uh, pretty bad from uh, the falls from the highs. And I think that's because critical minerals generally as a thematic um, has uh, got some strategic importance. Um, it was only uh, last month that uh, these guys won a contract from the U.S. Department of Defense to help them build a rare earths facility over there in uh, Texas. And this taking away the... Um, uh, the operational domination from China. It seems that uh, all of the rare earths currently come out of China or, you know, the, the bulk majority of them, 90% plus. Um, they hope to have that uh, uh, facility up and running by 2025. And it would be, um, uh, as I was just saying, the first one outside of China that is able to separate heavy rare earths. So it's because of that strategic important and importance and the involvement of the US government uh, and the Department of Defense in particular that I think will sort of put a floor under under uh, critical minerals and Linus is, you know, the best operator within that space. Um, undoubtedly, like other miners, being hurt by higher energy and shipping costs, but they did have some record production in the third quarter and they uh, achieved some very good prices for their production as well. So, um, yeah, in the mining space, if, if, if I had to play in commodities at the moment, this would probably be towards the top of the list in terms of the stocks that I would buy. Yeah, I mean, we saw that exponential growth, particularly um, in the last couple of years. But, I mean, you would imagine you're not going to see that again, are you? No, probably not. Um, you know, again, it has been a particularly good period for all commodities. Um, and, you know, again, as we move towards the recession and slower economic growth, you're probably not likely to see those general condition, conditions for commodities. Um, but, again, if I had to choose, say, between this and a lithium or even this and an oil, um, a related stock, then this would probably be one that would uh, be higher up the list, like I said. Yeah, okay. All right, David? Uh, certainly agree with the, the overall premise and the fact that the, the critical minerals have been very important uh, and continue to be a, an important theme. Uh, the barriers to entry are very high for the industry as well, so Linus is, is well positioned there. Uh, our view, though, is that we've got a lighten on the stock, and that's really based on the, the valuations. Uh, we've seen the all-time high uh, price of $64 a kilo peak. Uh, valuations currently across the, the market, the consensus is that the, the price will be $120 a kilo in perpetuity, which we think is is probably too high and uh, and think that the, the share price is, is probably ahead of itself at the moment. So we've got a, a light in recommendation. Uh, our NPV or, or, or target price is $4.70 on the stock. So I think that it's um, you know an opportunity to, to take some profits if you've been in it for a while. Uh, not, not too many companies that you can take profits on at the moment, but that would be one that would be looking at, uh, at lightening on. Okay. What do you make of, like, Chris's perspective there uh, in that, that sort of su supply for EVs um, prefers this over most of those lithium stocks? Would, I mean, do you concur with that? Yeah, I certainly agree with, with Chris's view on the stock and, and the, the quality of the business. It is a good quality business. Um, our view is really more on the, the price at the moment. Uh, we have seen a lot of those lithium stocks come off quite a bit. We like Allchem in that place uh, and have a buy recommendation on it. Uh, probably be the, the one that I'd be leaning towards at the moment. Um, but, you know, we do like Linus. Just, just take a few profits at current levels. Yep. Okay. All right. Moving on to Domino's, uh, Jackson wanting to know this, uh, saying it seems to be coming off the bottom with signs of momentum. 
are they enough to make it a buy? Well, let's uh, see what our experts think. In fact, it's 60% lower than it's uh, coming off its 52-week high there. So it has been very negative, um, obviously, given it's had lower traffic, I guess, to its stores. It's got those inflationary pressures also affected by labour shortages. David, what are your thoughts on uh, on Domino's, which um, it, it sort of it, it deals with widgets rather than pizzas, isn't it? Because it does often see itself <laughs> as a tech company. Well, that's that's certainly right, and that was part of the momentum that it had for a long period of time, and part of the the success in the share price was that it promoted itself as a as a tech business and a high growth business. Uh, and as we've seen in the last six months, that that has turned negative uh, for not only Domino's but a range of companies. Um, in terms of their, their cost pressures, definitely they have been feeling that. Uh, ingredients have gone up, energy costs have gone up, and and uh, and wages, as you said, and, and getting staff has been an issue for them. Uh, it's a franchisee business or franchise all business, uh, so the franchisees take a lot of that cost. They've just implemented a service delivery charge of uh, 6% in Australia. Uh, I think it's 6% from Monday to Saturdays and then 10% on Sundays. So they've chosen not to increase the, the menu prices of their pizzas, but put a, effectively a delivery charge on that. So that's their way of, of passing through some of those costs. They haven't implemented that in their international markets at this point in time. Um, and that's really where the, the growth driver comes, is from Japan and Germany, uh, is where they're, they're getting their growth from. Australia's their cash cow and continues to, to be so. Uh, so we do like the stock. We've got a, a buy recommendation on it uh, and think that you know, the, the, the momentum can improve and, and become uh, more favourable towards the stock. The other interesting thing about inflation and about consumer behaviour is that uh, as we've seen prices of, of fresh food go up, you know, we, we always hear about the price of a lettuce. Well, a pizza is a, a lower cost uh, way for people to eat. So you may well find that people um, drop down that value chain and, and eat more pizza rather than, than uh, more salads. Right. So our health goes to pot when we hit recession. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> Possibly. <laughs> yeah, I guess because they're relying, they're not relying on fresh food necessarily, are they? Um, yeah. Well, so, they do have fresh ingredients that go into their pizzas. But yeah, in terms of that consumer decision, um, it's it's cheaper to go and get a pizza than it is to, to have high quality fresh food. Yeah, it depends how you want to feed your family, doesn't it, really? <laughs> um, yeah, Chris, I don't know whether you uh, prefer um, pizzas in times of hardship. I don't stress it, Andrew, if that's what you're asking me. <laughs> um, I'm going to be perfectly honest with Jackson here. I um, This is my bogey stock. I've never called this stock well. Um, uh, I don't mind admitting that I don't particularly understand it. And I think the reason why I don't understand it all that well is because with respect to Domino's, I don't think anyone would um, accuse it of being particularly high-quality pizza. And I do love my pizza, uh, but I like a, a pizza from a, from a local store. Uh, with um, you know some high quality ingredients and uh, you know and delivered to me as I sit at the table rather than um, delivered in a box. So hey, that's just me, but it's probably why I don't understand the stock. So I've just tried to lay out a bull case and a bear case. And the bull case, um, the six percent delivery fee that uh, David was just talking about, I think that is a good thing. It shows to the market that these guys have a lot of avenues to support margins, and it's just the first shot in terms of passing some of those higher costs on. So there's lots of ways that they can do it. 
Um, up and down the street, same store sales growth uh, for FY23 is expected to set, exceed forecasts. Um, so by that metric alone, it's a very important metric. It's looking pretty good. Um, the bear case for me is uh, the higher uh, rates and higher inflation. And again, I absolutely agree with David's premise. Um, and we were talking about it here at Marcus Day in regards to Collins Food. Uh, when they had those good results last week is, yeah, people do drop down. They'll drop down from eating a $70 Thai meal to feed a family um, to a KFC value box or a couple of pizzas or something like that. So generally speaking, in tough economic conditions, these guys or these types of businesses aren't hurt so badly. Um, there is some data out there showing that website to their, uh, sorry, traffic to their websites has slowed or is under increasing pressure. Uh, and the other point I think worth noting is the store rollout. Um, might be hindered by the fact that one, you can't find tradies because there's a lot of people still out with COVID and you know off work, um, and prices there have gone up as well. So that's going to be some margin compression. So the sum total for me is that I'm probably more bearish than bullish. But like I said right off the top, Jackson, I've never been able to call this one well. So probably just do the opposite of what I'm saying. <laughs> Which is so, so? What are you slapping on it then? So I, I would be a sell on this still. So <laughs> Jackson should probably get it Well, you, you're, you're going to be right. <laughs> What, half the time? I don't know. Uh, yeah. Well, I've been right for the last six months, but I was wrong when it went from 70 to 160, so right. whatever. <laughs> so if you're, if, and also, Chris, if you're saying then perhaps there is a preference to go for that cheaper food, maybe fast food, um, as times get tough, um, you know, for instance, Collins food, do you like that? Yeah, well, again, this is another one that had been in that screaming downtrend, had been absolutely mm. hammered, and then came out with some very strong results recently. And, and from memory, it was their growth in Europe. And again, it could be a similar story for uh, for uh, Domino's, you know, with the growth in Japan that David was talking about. So it might not even be the Australian markets that are holding these businesses up. It'll be the growth um, and the development in those international markets which drive th which drives things forward. Um, the, the two are very similar for me. Again, both, yep. both share price locks have been absolutely hammered. Um, Collins Food is probably a little bit further advanced just because they have had good results and are de-risked. And obviously now everyone's waiting for what Domino's does during the upcoming reporting season. But um, there is some evidence there, like I said, that they'll they'll have results that are ahead of consensus estimates. And if they do that, well, that would probably light a bit of a rocket under the share price because it was a market darling there for a while and everyone will come back to it. So, um, yep. yeah. All right. Okay. Now, of course, we talk about uh, all this stuff being moved around. Um, it requires packaging, which takes us to our next company, which is Amcor. Um, Lincoln wanting to know about this. It is the global packaging uh, company. Um, in fact, the share price has actually been quite impressive relative to, well, the rest of the market, I guess, uh, particularly over the past six months, although it is likely to be impacted by all well, those ongoing supply shortages, the volatility of those materials, energy, fuel, labour, um, Chris, and interestingly, I know that you were making, going to make the comparison, comparison here between Amcor and Ansel, which we spoke about earlier. Yeah, so just in terms of the chart first, Andrew, I think uh, this is one of the best looking charts in the market at the moment. You know me, I love my technicals and there's not a lot of good looking charts out there at the moment. Um, and this is, uh, this is right towards the top of the list. Uh, it has a good-looking chart, and the share price has been supported because they've held up very well in this current economic environment. And exactly like you were just pointing out, these guys have managed to pass on their costs uh, much more effectively than a lot of other companies like the Ansels of the world. Um, so their margins have been maintained. Their, their, their earnings have been consistent. Their margins have been maintained. Um, and they have a dominant market position. That's really one of the things that has allowed them to pass on those 
uh, higher costs to their customers. Their third quarter update, they saw pricing growth of 11% for the flexibles division and 14% for rigids, and their volume growth remained solid. So they were able to pass those high prices on and remain uh, and maintain their, their volume growth, which is a pretty impressive feat. And then just in terms of some uh, innovation, they've um, uh, recently developed a next generation PET bottle, um, and it uses about 30% less plastic uh, resin and energy. So, you know, they're making the uh, technological advances at one end so that they need to use less raw materials, and then they're passing on uh, the prices uh, to their customers in any case. And that just means that they're able to maintain their margins as opposed to, uh, like I said before, other businesses that have significant margin compression. So I'm a, I'm a buy on this one, even where it sits now. It might not necessarily present any value, but I just think these guys have managed the economy and managed their, uh, their inputs and managed all the things that they can control particularly well. Um, and I would uh, not be surprised to see this one hitting 20 bucks uh, probably in the next six months. Okay. David? Uh, yeah, agree with with a lot of uh, what Chris said about the the company. We like it as a uh, a, a defensive business. It's got a well diversified uh, base, strong balance sheet, excellent management. So it's in a good position. We have got an accumulate recommendation on it. Our target price is eighteen sixty. So with the recent share price rise that we've seen, um, maybe be holding off and and waiting for a little bit of a pullback. Uh, I'm not the, the chartist that, that Chris is. I look at the chart and think, well, maybe it's it's up a little bit high uh, on its share price. Let's wait for a bit of a, a pullback. But medium and longer term, we like the business. Uh, so have an accumulate recommendation on it. All right. How, how do you, what are you looking at the packaging segment in, in total? Like, I'm, I'm just sort of looking at competitors, Aurora, Pact Group. Um, are you seeing that? that growth there or is, is Amcor purely, I mean, is that the, the outstanding stock for you? I think Amcor's the, the leader in that sector. They've, uh, you know, they've done it very, very well. Um, it's not a high growth sector at the moment. Uh, Amcor's earnings expectations are, are reasonable, but not extraordinary. Uh, so I'd certainly be sticking with Amcor as the leader, uh, but perhaps wait for a, a little bit of a pullback in the share price. All right, okay. Moving right along then, let's get into Mervac. Shane wanting to know about this is the diversified property developer uh, owning well, industrial, commercial, um, retail, real estate. Um, potentially difficult, the share price, the chart doesn't look good. David, Mervac and I guess the environment that it's operating in at the moment. Yeah, certainly, as you said, the, the share price uh, hasn't been good and the, the, the chart doesn't look great. But we actually think that it's it's probably been overdone in terms of Mervac's um, point of view. The market is repricing uh, a lot of the, the real estate investment trusts based on, on higher interest rates and, and uh, cap rates coming down. Um, so we tend to think that the valuation uh, has been overdone. The market's anticipating a decline of about 19% in their investment assets. Again, um, our NTA is $2.76, so it's trading at a 23.5% discount to that. Uh, it's a reasonable business, 4.8% yield, expecting for that to increase to about 5.1% next year. They do have a a large residential land bank uh, and obviously residential sales have come off which is 
probably been part of the reason that the share prices come off as well. But they do have high quality land and, and they're actually, you know, trading uh, you know, below that value at the moment. So we, we do like it as a longer term play, have an accumulate recommendation on it. Uh, so again, it's it's one that uh, you, you can buy it at reasonable prices, but uh, it's not extraordinary value at, at current levels. More broadly, David, um, how do you feel about REITs at the moment in, in a rising interest rate environment? Uh, Different segments there. I, yep. I guess you know REITs is a is a, a fairly wide category. Uh, we do like a number of the um, the the office um, you know businesses. We've seen a, a sell off in the share price. We do like Dexus in that space. I uh, think that it's been very smart in the way that it's recycled a number of its assets. It's sold a lot of their their buildings at, at higher levels and and doing further development. So we like Dexus there, and then on the the longer whale um, side of the business, we like Charter Hall Long Whale. So they've got a, a long weighted average lease expiry, uh, as the name name suggests. So they have a, a less exposure to short-term movements in, in rates. So uh, yeah, Charter Hall Long Whale's the, the one that we like in that space. Yep, okay. Chris, your thoughts on Mervac? Yeah, can't escape the, the macro environment here, Andrew. Um, you know, with markets talking about recession, uh, and stagflation, and uh, of course, uh, higher interest rates, funding costs go up for the for the race, uh, REITs, uh, and that is just inescapable uh, at the moment. Um, I've been reading some research across the entire sector. You know, there's a lot of uh, analysts out there that are talking about earnings per share downgrades of eight to ten percent across the board, uh, and I think it was UBS lowered their price targets by around fifteen percent again across the board for all REITs. Um, with particular regard to Mervac, I agree with David, they do have a good suite of assets um, and good diversity. Um, one of the things that probably will hurt them, though, is development expenditures um, being cut and decisions delayed. And Mervac's probably one of the uh, property trusts that is more likely to be affected um, as those uh, those CapEx uh, development costs of expenditures, I should say, are pushed out further in time. So... Um, I can't find a way to buying this one. And if the question that's about to come out of your mouth is, well, is there a REIT that you do like? I would probably say Goodman is still my preferred in the space. Um, just with, the, again, their asset mix uh, and what they're exposed to. So that is that would be where I would play if I had to play there at all. But I think um, REITs are probably still likely to struggle for the next 12 months. Okay, so a no then. Um, but if you hold it, what do you, what do, you do with it? Yeah, I think you'd still sell it now. Again, okay. I, I think you can. I think I think rates will be in the bottom quartile of sectors over the next twelve months. Yep. All right. Let's uh, let's round it out with Superloop, and uh, Claire wanting to know about this. It is the telco infrastructure company planning to, in fact, announced that it's planning to undertake an on-market buyback uh, up to ten percent of its issued share capital. Uh, that follows the divestment of its uh, assets in Hong Kong and Singapore in April, uh, which generated significant cash there. So, Chris, Superloop. Yeah, so I would say this is, um, for lack of a better word, this has been a bit of a messy company. And I don't mean it's necessarily a bad company, but it's there's been a lot of moving parts for Superloop over the last 12, 18 months. So um, Bevan, who uh, is a key player in the Australian tech space, well known to people that love him, uh, stepped away as CEO, uh, sorry, as chair. 
Um, and there was a period there where they were, you know, trying to establish the new chair and do a few other things. Like you say, they sold those assets in Hong Kong and Singapore for $140 million. Uh, they lost $32 million last year. They called it a transformational year. Um, as a lot of these moving parts were, were being jostled around. Uh, and they've just bought uh, Acurus, which is a Melbourne-based company, uh, a managed service company here, in, uh, like I said, here in Melbourne, uh, for $15 million. So there's been a lot of moving parts. There's been a lot of things changing around. Um, for me to be a buyer of this, aside from what's going on in tech and aside from the, the macro factors, I just need to see some stability. I need some, to see some stability in, in management. I need to see some stability in terms of what they're doing with their asset mix. And I would need to see, obviously, a big turnaround in earnings and uh, hopefully profits before this is one um, that I would be willing to have a crack at. And that's escaping uh, what's going on, like I said, with uh, technology and high PE growth stocks at, at, a, at, a, at a sector level and at a, at a market level. So, um, yeah, too hard for me at the moment. Uh, not necessarily a sell, um, but no, nothing better than a hold. All right. Well, I'll take it as a pass, really, then. Yeah. Uh, yep. In fact, I was just taking a look at the chart. If you pull it out even further, five years, it is really ugly. Um, David, it, um, it's just that downward trend. Yeah, it certainly has been. It, it, when it listed on the market, it, uh, it was a very exciting stock. Uh, as Chris said, Bevan Slattery was involved, and, and at the time that was, um, that was gold, uh, and the company listed very, very well. But it has come off fairly significantly. I think it's down about 70% this year. Uh, the sale of the, the Hong Kong and Singapore assets have you returned $110 million of, of capital to the business, which, as you said, is, is being used as a buyback. Um, the management have said that it's a highly accretive uh, acquisition to buy their own shares at, at a discount. So, uh, you know, the, the management are obviously not seeing any other growth outside of, of their, their business. Uh, we do have an accumulate recommendation on it uh, with a, a target price of $1.25. So, anticipating that we we will see some recovery in that share price uh, but again high risk business it is in tech it is unprofitable uh, so it's it's really for the true believers yeah all right okay well let's uh, summarize where we've been for the second half of the show and we began with Linus there in uh, rare earths uh, Chris talked about the strategic importance I should just clarify you did have a buy on that didn't you Chris Yes, I did. Yeah. Yep. Well, it was, as I said, it was, if I was going down the list of commodities uh, companies to have exposure to, that one would be right towards the top of the list. So yeah, yeah. don't necessarily, right now is the perfect time to be launching into commodities, but it will be top of the list when when uh, it is time. Yeah, for yeah, sure. Yeah, certainly above, uh, as you said, above uh, lithium and, and even oil at this point. All right. Uh, David, though, he's got a lighten call on Linus. Um, Domino's. It, David there, he's got a buy on it. Uh, once again, diversity of opinion here in looking at particularly the growth in um, potential growth there in Japan and Germany. Uh, Chris, though, uh, admitting that it is his bogey stock, he never gets this call right. Um, therefore, he's, well, if nothing else, he's throwing a sell on it at this point, the, um, the share price having looked uh, pretty ugly recently too. Uh, Amcor, Chris has a buy on it, saying um, it is one of the best-looking charts on the ASX at the moment, uh, likely to maintain its margins. David there saying good defensive business, uh, odds having an accumulate there for Amcor. Mervac, 
Uh, David calling it, it is a high quality company and accumulate also. Uh, Chris, though, they're no expecting um, EPS downgrades in the REITs. Uh, he prefers Goodman in that uh, space, but uh, no, really a sell for Chris there for Mervac. And just finally, Superloop. Um, Chris describing it as a bit of a messy company because it's got so many moving parts at the moment. Um, he's maybe a hold, but essentially passing. And uh, David calling it a high risk investment there. But uh, Ords does have an accumulate on that stock. All right. So thanks to our guests today. David, thanks for joining us from Ords. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. And Chris from Marcus Today. Good chat. Thanks, Andrew. Always a pleasure. Thanks, David. All right, any stocks you'd like us to cover, flick us an email, the call at ausbiz.com.au or you can tweet us at TV. And a reminder where to find those stocks we have in the calls portfolio. Head to ausbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Stay with us for the small caps. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.